Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa as well as on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 902. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Onelin Zinzi, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Raz and Shine at the Sawa, the UN has expressed its concern about reprisals of further discrimination directed against Muslims and new figures show an epidemic of violence against children across Africa. But first up, the news with Onelin Zinzi. Thank you, Lulu. A bomb blast has struck a market in the northeastern Nigeria city of Yola, killing 32 people and wounding 80 others. The explosion occurred at a fruit and vegetable market beside a main road in the Jimeta area of Adamawa state capital. There was no immediate claim of responsibility, but the blast bore the hallmarks of militant Islamist group Boko Haram. Boko Haram has not struck northeastern Nigeria since late October when bombings in Yola and Maiduguri left 37 people dead. The West African nation of Senegal has banned the most conservative Islamic apparel worn by women. The move announced on Tuesday by Interior Minister Abdullaye Daouda prohibits women from wearing burqas where only their eyes can be seen. This comes as Senegal confronts the growing risk of the Islamic extremists of Boko Haram. Already four imams accused of links to the Nigeria-based insurgent group have been arrested. The order says the law is not anti-Islamic but a question of security. The Sariq Organ on Politics, Defense and Security Cooperation, the Troika, is expected to receive the outcome of Judge Mpapi Pumapi Commission that investigated Lesotho's insecurity and the death of former Army Commander Mabarangwe Mahao. Sariq Executive Secretary Stergomena Tex has confirmed the meeting to be held on Friday and Saturday in the capital of Mozambique, Maputo. Ntagwanangadane has more. In July, a double Troika meeting was convened by then Troika Chair South Africa in Pretoria a few days after Mahawa was shot by other soldiers and subsequently died. Sadak established the commission to investigate. At its summit in Botswana in August, Sadak bypassed making Lesotho security chairperson a second time due to that situation. Now the current chair of the organ, Mozambique, has summoned a meeting on 21 and 22 November to possibly receive the report of the Pumapi commission that many are eagerly waiting for in Lesotho. The political body of the International Criminal Court is convening in The Hague in the Netherlands with pressure building on its relationship with African countries. The court has long been accused in Africa of holding a bias against the continent and there have been calls within South Africa's ruling ANC government to pull out of the ICC. Nicolo Figa Talamanca from the ICC paints a picture of what can be expected. Normally the ASP focuses on uh, uh, rules of procedure which sound rather boring. It focuses on the approval of the budget, which is a very mind-numbing process for many people. This ASP, we like to see sparks. We like to see the Kenyan delegations come in with who knows how many members of the press, members of parliament of Kenya have announced that they will travel to The Hague to support the Kenyan position. 
And finally, the United Nations Refugee Agency says refugees should not be turned into scapegoats following the terrorist attack in Paris. UNHCR has added that it was dismayed by language emanating from certain states demonizing refugees as a group. More than half the governors in the United States have expressed opposition to refugees settling in their states. UNHCR's Melissa Fleming. We are also deeply disturbed by language uh, that demonizes refugees as a group. This is dangerous and it will contribute to xenophobia and fear. Uh, The security problems Europe faces are highly complex, and refugees, we believe, should not turn into scapegoats, and they must not become secondary victims of these most tragic events. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilintzintzi. Thank you, Onele. It is 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. The UN Secretary-General has expressed his concern about reprisals of further discrimination directed against Muslims in the aftermath of the Paris terrorist attacks. He has warned that such action would exacerbate alienation on which terrorists feed. Ban Ki-moon was addressing a Security Council meeting on security development and the root causes of conflict. Show and Bryce Peace reports. The provisional agenda for this meeting is security, development, and the root causes of conflict. Ban Ki-moon again offered his condolences to the people of France and reiterated the fairly broadly held view that no action targeting innocents could justify the acts of terror, whether in Paris, Beirut, Baghdad, or elsewhere. In the aftermath of other terrorist bombings in recent days in Beirut and Baghdad and the apparent bombing of a Russian airplane we see the continuing peril of terrorism and indeed the mounting threat from Daesh. No grievance or cause can justify such acts. He urged the world to come together to defeat terrorism within the confines of the rule of law and used his platform in the council to again link terrorist acts to a complex number of issues. Today's violent conflict and violent extremism are often rooted in a mix of exclusion, inequality, mismanagement of natural resources, corruption, oppression, governance failures, and frustration and alienation that accompany a lack of jobs and opportunities. Yet our responses have not caught up to these realities. We are not yet properly integrating United Nations action across the interdependent pillars of our work, peace, development, and human rights. He called for an integrated approach that focused more on prevention, an approach that has a sharper focus on human rights, calling violations the best early warning signs of trouble to come in the future. Human rights upfront calls for three types of change within the UN system. Cultural change to ensure staff recognize prevention and protection as a core responsibility. Second, Operational change to streamline our analysis and deploy teams with a small footprint to assist 
national authorities before crises emerged, and third, earlier and more transparent engagement with the national authorities and other member states on deteriorating situations. Mr. Ban emphasized the need to strengthen coherence among all actors, be that from a development, security, or peace-building perspective, while calling for predictable financing for the political interventions and mediation work required when hotspots begin to emerge. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Meanwhile, the terrorist shooting and suicide in Paris on Friday night has raised fears of the spread of ISIS influence around the world. In the last year, 140 South Africans have reportedly joined the Islamic State insurgency to fight in Iraq and Syria. That has again raised concerns about recruitment in South Africa's safety against ISIS. In April this year, a 15-year-old girl was pulled off a flight at Cape Town International Airport in South Africa, following suspicions that she was en route to join the terrorist group. South Af- Martin Iwi is a senior researcher of transnational threat and international crime at the Institute for Security Studies. I think there have been a lot of uh, allegations about the presence of uh, international terrorist groups. Al Qaeda and the Islamic State have been. Uh, Pointed out, 2013 there was uh, this uh, rumors that uh, there were the presence or training camps of Al Qaeda in uh, uh, in South Africa, and uh, recently we've seen or we we have heard report of uh, recruitment of um, um, South Africans into the Islamic State. Many of uh, some of whom have actually uh, travelled to Syria, and some uh, came back. So I mean, these are the red flags to to indicate that. Uh, South Africa is not completely immune from this uh, global uh, terrorist threat. Do we ever know where they end up when they've been recruited from South Africa? There are so many different activities that they can do once they are in Syria. Uh, some are recruited as combatants. Some are recruited as specialists uh, for uh, different activities. They could even be electri- electrician, or some could be mechanics, or some could be in different walks of life, depending on where they are coming from. Uh, but the majority are actually uh, to, uh, uh, to to be uh, to, to be fighters, and then you have ladies uh, who are also recruited to be well, some some will call them uh, sex slaves, or the, the, the Islamic State. You say they, they are the jihadi wives. Do the women know that they're going there to be um, to be jihad uh, jihadi wives? Some of them might know, but uh, again, uh, the propaganda is not always very clear. The propaganda is really to convince you, so they'll give you a very rosary uh, picture of what you are going to be doing there. Sometimes just to live in a caliphate, uh, you know, they'll tell you how beautiful it is. Uh, they, you live a very simple lifestyle. Uh, you know, you you can get married if you want, uh, and because there are no restrictions in terms of what age you get married to. Um, you can even find that nine-year-old girls can get married to a thirty-year-old man or even a forty-year-old man. So it doesn't really matter. Martin, what would make groups like Al Qaeda and ISIS attractive to South Africans? Well, they they have a, a very successful uh, campaign. Uh, they have a very successful propaganda. Um, the propaganda is actually psychological because they will target. Uh, youth or people, uh, you know, from the their strength. So sometimes they could just start off by uh, uh, seeing you the way uh, you 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 
uh, you react to certain events and then they build on that to actually recruit you, to lure you into the Al-Qaeda. How does this recruitment happen? Um, is it out on the streets or do they recruit online? Are there other recruitment methods? There are uh, various recruitment methods. You mentioned some of them. They recruit online. The social media is one of the biggest uh, recruitment tools that they use. Uh, the second one is, is of course, uh, they use uh, propaganda where they actually have face-to-face. Uh, but the majority of it now, it's been done through the social media where you, you are contacted through either the Facebook, through Twitter, or uh, even Skype sometimes, uh, but depend, they will actually follow you, how you serve the Internet, the site that you visit, and then they capitalize on that, uh, you know, to, to recruit you. Um, you mentioned social media here, and social media as private as it can be, but it, it's also a very public platform. Um, it, so the types of conversations that would happen, would they be happening privately on ordinary social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, maybe LinkedIn? You, you do have the, yes, the public social media site. They will also use that, but most of it is about the private uh, social media site. I, I mentioned that even Facebook, you know, depending on the kind of Facebook that you visit or depending on the kind of site that you visit, if you visit some Islamic site, you know, those sites will now mean that you are interested and then from there, they can appeal to you for various uh, reasons. We're talking about recruitment um, and recruitment methods here, but uh, do we have any indication of whether any terror group, it could be um, al-Shabaab, it could be ISIS, it could be al-Qaeda, do, do they have training um, uh, grounds in South Africa? Is there some sort of training that's taking place? We don't know exactly uh, uh, where they, if uh, there exists any such uh, training uh, in South Africa. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the way the, the recruitment is increasingly uh, becoming popular, uh, it will seem that, you know, there might be some areas. I don't know. We, we've not found out yet. Recently, the American embassy in South Africa did mention that it's, it's believed that it was, um, it was going to be under attack or there was a possibility that it was going to be attacked. Um, could there be truth to these allegations? This was actually in September uh, when the United States embassy in South Africa uh, alleged or issued an alert, uh, a warning, uh, that there the, the was actually uh, credible evidence uh, that uh, U.S. interest in South Africa was going to be attacked. So, uh, and in that case, they issued an alert, uh, an alert which um, the South African government um, actually said uh, there was no such uh, credible threat. Senior researcher of transnational threat and international crime at the Institute for Security Studies, Martin Iwi, speaking to Spumelele Zondi. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka. 
in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The government of President Salva Kiir of South Sudan has accused rebels loyal to Riek Macha of killing 22 people in the volatile region of Jongle. But the rebels have swiftly denied the accusation, describing it as a figment of the Juba government's imagination and pure propaganda. James Shemangula reports. The situation is slowly returning to normal in Jonglei region, the largest of South Sudan's 10 regions. Already thousands of people are reported to have fled their homes following intermittent attacks reportedly carried out by rebels loyal to former Vice President Riek Machar. South Sudan government through army spokesman Colonel Philip Panyangagwer is accusing Riek Machar fighters of unleashing attacks in Jonglei villages killing at least 22 people. Speaking from South Sudan capital Juba, Colonel Philip Panyangagwer said. 22 civilians were killed including women and children and this is a violation from the side of the rebels. According to Colonel Philip Panyangagwer, I'm a spokesman, the 22 lives were lost earlier this week in Jonglei region, providing an update on Tuesday's rebel attack. Without disclosing casualty figures, Colonel Philip Panyangagwer had this to say. This morning, also the rebels attacked as position unity state, and it seemed the, the rebels are not serious in uh, implementing the ceasefire. The ceasefire that Army spokesman Colonel Philip Panyang Aguer is referring to stems from a peace agreement signed in August this year by South Sudan President Salva Kiir and his principal political and military rival Riek Machar. The agreement, among other clauses, stipulates that armies of each warring faction will not engage in combat. But since the agreement was signed, each side has accused the other of violence violating that very agreement. Already a ceasefire monitoring unit has been set up in Juba by IGAD, the regional trade block that has been pushing for a peaceful solution to South Sudan conflict. The monitoring unit is led by former Botswana President Festus Mohai. Now, South Sudan Army spokesman Colonel Philip Panyangagwer says he will inform the unit and the international community on the latest deadly action taken by the rebels. We will be informing the international and regional monitors that are in the area to verify this violation, particularly the one of this morning. They have been killed for the last two days. Responding to South Sudan Army spokesman's accusation, James Gadet, Dark spokesman for rebel leader Riek Machara, described the attack accusation as baseless and, as he put it, pure propaganda aimed at preventing us from taking part in the government of national unity. The government of national unity that... Riek Machar's spokesman James Gadet Duck is speaking about is expected to be formed in Juba before the end of the year. That government will have 
Salva Kiir as president of the country and Riek Machar, who has been leading rebels, will become South Sudan's vice president. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyola. The political body of the International Criminal Court meets in The Hague from today as tensions grow over the court's relationship with Africa. Kenya is sending a large delegation to lobby for changes to how the court works, while South Africa is likely to raise its desire to leave the ICC. To tell us more, we have presiding officer of African Union Civil Society Organization, the Economic, Cultural and Social Council, Joseph Chilengi. First and foremost, I think uh, Africa has uh, made always made its position on international justice uh, uh, very clear, and uh, now it is even now more clear than any other time over the past year. Uh, we, we are faced with uh, uh, a clear direction on our obligations to the African Union and other international treaties, and based on various decisions, in particular decisions of 2009 and 2013, and also uh, taking into account the challenges that uh, the international justice system has been facing, uh, we, we are calling for, for, for a, a serious reform uh, and transformation of, of the ICC, a failure to which I think the direction will be very clear. Uh, we just need to begin to pull out MSA from, 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 from ICC. So are you going there with a consensus view on that, or are there some um, African uh, Union member states who at this point are ready to withdraw? Um, I think as for now, uh, we are calling on, on Africa's big five, uh, South Africa, uh, Algeria, and Nigeria, uh, and others, including Kenya, uh, to send a signal that uh, Africa is not happy with uh, the international justice system, uh, while we support uh, uh, the court and uh, Africa is there in, in the highest numbers, uh, it's an operation uh, 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 to the least, uh, not uh, guaranteeing justice for uh, for everybody. Uh, and therefore, we would rather focus on, on our regional mechanism in order to address uh, uh, regional uh, challenges that we may face in as far as international crime is concerned. Because the AU is not inferior to the IGC. It is a powerful regional organization uh, backed up by uh, various organs, uh, such as the Peace and Security Council, uh, the African Parliament, uh, the court, ECOSOC, uh, and many, many others. Uh, and therefore, uh, it, it has one of the biggest budgets. Uh, it's budget more than the budget of the ICC, and therefore it cannot be uh, treated as a subordinate uh, uh, organ uh, to the ICC. Presiding Officer of African Union Civil Society Organization, the Economic, Cultural and Social Council, Joseph Chilengi, speaking to Sakina Kamwendo. It's 8.23 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Tanzania's new National Assembly has began its session for the first time since the end of the general election held in October the 25th in 2015 that witnessed a high number of opposition members emerge this time. The members of parliament began the first session in Dodoma, the capital city of Tanzania, for electing a new speaker of the House before being sworn in to serve the House in the next term of five years. 
A new speaker is set to face more challenges this time from the young parliamentarians who make a huge number of members in the House. Our reporter Gabriel Zakaria reports from Dar es Salaam. This is the first session of the 11th Parliament of Tanzania, composed by more than 300 members of parliament from five political parties, gathered for the first time since the October 25th general election, which witnessed for another term, the ruling party CCM defending the victory. The House begins by electing a new Speaker of the House, who will lead the lawmakers for the next term of five years. Seven contesters emerged from more than seven parties to run for the post before Mr. Jobundugai from the ruling party CCM beat the rest by far and announced the winner. Mimi, Jobustino Ndugai, na hapa kwamba, nitaikumikia vema na kwa moyo thabiti ya muhuri ya muungano wa Tanzania katika kazi zangu kama speaker wa bunge na katika kutimiza wajibu wa cheo hicho nitawatendea haki watu wote kwa mujibu wa katiba kanuni za bunge na sheria mira na desturi za jamhuri ya muungano na kwa vyovyote vile sitatoa siri za bunge ewe Mwenyezi Mungu nisaidie Previously before he was elected, Mr. Jobundugai pleaded to treat all members equally, regardless of political parties they would be coming from, for saying it will be a best parliament ever this time around. Some of the Tanzanians who given out their opinion believe that a new speaker will manage to control the house, no matter a lot of challenges are said to face him from young members of parliament, especially those coming from the opposition parties. I think, if, uh, I think from the, the speaker of the parliament uh he's a, he has experience enough uh, since the last uh, parliament and uh he's he, remember that he's uh, uh member of the parliament for about 20 years now but so he has a, a good number for experience and i'm sure that uh, there is no anything that can give him more challenges so the, in in terms of failing to uh, i mean to uh, to control the the parliament he has a gr- good uh, experience and i'm sure that uh, there's nothing uh, that can make him stop to 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 control the parliament first of all he's not old he's also young and the young parliament members have i mean modern modern ideas modern views he's he's also young so his ideas and the member of parliament who are who are young also have modern ideas so when they combine together they are going to have very good uh, decisions which is going to be for the benefit of the nations through the leadership of uh, the new speaker who was elected today mr job Ndugai, we are expecting to see uh, many changes in the parliament because as uh, through the experience of the previous uh, 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 previous parliament of uh, 19 uh, previous parliament we saw he was very active when he, he leads the, the the decisions in the parliament and for this year we have new pa- parliament uh, and for this year we have seen a lot of uh, youth pa- uh, youth uh, members of parliaments whom uh, who will come up with uh, new ideas
Expectations are higher from the public who elected their representatives to serve them in a period of five years, which is said to be long enough for a parliamentarian to meet the voters' expectations. A new president of the United Republic of Tanzania is said to open this year's parliament any time this week. Reporting from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria for Channel Africa. It's 8.28 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1 or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park Johannesburg 2006 Republic of South Africa We look forward to hearing from you Channel Africa The voice of the African Renaissance This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our headlines up next with Onelen Zinzi. Heavy casualties are feared following a bomb blast that ripped through packed crowds in Yola in northeast Nigeria. Sudanese government delegates arrive in Ethiopia for AU-mediated peace talks aimed at stopping civil war. And the Sadiq Troika to receive the outcome of Judge Mpapi Puma Peace Commission that investigated Lesotho's insecurity and the death of former Army Commander Maparankwe Mahao. Channel African News, I'm Onelintzintzi. Thank you, Onele. New figures show an epidemic of violence against children across Africa. The continent's largest children's organizations launched a campaign to build public awareness and galvanize political will and resources around the staggering incidents and impact of abuse and violence against children. Jane Matebula attended the event in Johannesburg, South Africa, and filed the following report. Beating children is not a sign of your power. As a young man, bullying New data from across Eastern and Southern Africa tells a disturbing story of the region's youngest citizens being victims of abuse. For example, fresh statistics from Zambia reveal that one in three children suffer physical violence such as beatings, while one in five girls is a victim of sexual abuse. 
In a bid to address this scourge, various children's organizations have launched an initiative titled Action on Violence Against Children. Elaborating more on this partnership is Rachel Odede, a representative of the United Nations Children's Funds in Swaziland. No one person or organization can end violence against children on their own. This is about collective responsibility. Why this partnership approach? It is imperative to unite on a common agenda, present convincing solutions to solve urgent issues, and identify the best opportunities to have the greatest impact possible. The impacts of violence are far-reaching, as Odete explains. Violence puts significant financial strain on a country's health and social services systems. Therefore, failing to protect children from violence, abuse, neglect, sexual exploitation will increase the risk that children's most basic needs will remain unmet. It can therefore significantly impede a nation's effort to develop. This is not really what we desire in the era of sustainable development goals. Welcoming the campaign is Claire Feinstein of the global charity Save the Children. Transforming the social norms, behaviour and attitude change means the advocacy, the awareness raising and media campaign. And so we really welcome this campaign and this partnership to bring about the change that's needed to end violence against children. Achieving our ambitious child protection breakthrough means, among other interventions, that more children are cared for in safe family environments. And so one of our key messages is that caring, protective, safe and strong families are central to children's survival, learning and protection. Feinstein also urges governments to invest more in the prevention of violence against children. And there's a growing body of evidence that prevention pays and prevention works. And we need to see the levels of government spending in all our countries on prevention and response actions to violence against children. They need to be visible. They need to be easier to track. We need to see this investment in child protection. We need to see this investment increase. Adding on the need to protect children, Patrick Godana from the South African-based non-profit organization Sonke Gender Justice reflected on the work done to ensure that fathers are part of their children's lives. The data in South Africa shows that 64% of fathers are absent in the lives of children. And this campaign becomes that strategy of engaging fathers to participate more effectively emotionally connected to their own children. Indeed, violence against children cuts across the regional boundaries. But in our country, South Africa, we are inundated by high levels of interpersonal violence that includes violence against children. And the cost of violence in this country is so huge. And according to KPMG findings, it cost South Africa, the beautiful land, a land of promise, 28 to 40 billion a year to respond to acts of violence. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Matebula in Johannesburg. The Kingdom of the Netherlands has brought experts to help tackle the current water crisis facing South Africa. 
Prime Minister Mark Rutte is on a one-day visit to the country with a handful of his cabinet ministers and a strong business delegation of about 70 people. Ndebo Mokobo has more. A warm welcome for the Netherlands Prime Minister Mark Rutte. He in return promised to increase investment in South Africa and share expertise to enable the country overcome its challenges. Prime Minister Rutte says he brought some experts to help with the current water crisis gripping the country. I brought a lot of companies in the area of water and they are bringing a lot of experience in terms of how to work with water shortage, sanitation. The work has started yesterday, is continuing today, will continue tomorrow. Uh, the Vice Minister of Water is here. He was also in the delegation meeting, which was very successful, very action-oriented on logistics, on agriculture, but also on water management. Sometimes we discuss water issues like with Bangladesh on how to prevent countries from flooding, and sometimes we discuss issues like uh, how to deal with a shortage of water or to deal with the fact that the water quality is not at a level where you want it to be. And here we can help. At the same time, we can learn. With South Africa struggling with a sluggish growth and high unemployment rate, the Kingdom of Netherlands is pledged to assist. Prime Minister Rutte says they will share notes with their South African counterparts to develop sustainable solutions. President Zuma is putting a lot of effort into managing the economy, working on inclusive growth, creating jobs and realizing South Africa's full potential. The Netherlands and our business community are key partners in helping South Africa achieve these goals. We are committed for the long term, investing and sharing knowledge and expertise to create solid and sustainable solutions. Meanwhile, President Jacob Zuma says the two nations will sign a joint cooperation soon to help elevate their trade and investment relations. The visit by the Prime Minister will certainly take these relations and cooperation to a higher level. We are in agreement on the need at this time to elevate our relationships. We are pleased that our ministers responsible for foreign affairs will sign the agreement establishing a joint cooperation at The Hague on Thursday, which will help to coordinate and guide the broad and substantive scope of our relationship. The two-way trade between the two countries stands at over 48 billion rand, and President Zuma says this could increase if they commit and focus on the full implementation of their bilateral agreements. Our very discussions and the agreements we are signing and our commitment to extend and expand our relationship address the issue that you are calling for. What is it that you are going to do? It is these practical, concrete agreements that we have come to. How do we implement them? The pace with which we are going to be implementing them is going to be very crucial. As the Netherlands takes over the presidency of the European Union next year, President Zuma says South Africa will take advantage of its cordial relations with them to fight for a just world. Both Pretoria and Amsterdam have condemned the Friday terror attacks that hit Paris. Prime Minister Rutte's trip to the country was cut short as part of Europe remains on high alert. I am Tebo Mokobo in Pretoria. A South African nuclear physicist says the plethora of distorted information about nuclear energy is sending out the wrong messages and hindering its progress. CEO of the nuclear project-based company Nuclear Africa, Dr. Calvin Kem, has encouraged local businesses to look at the nuclear value chain and to jump on board. South Africa is forging ahead with plans to feed nuclear power into the energy grid by 2023. Minoshni Pillay reports. Many could regard Kemp's statement as alarmist. 
that Fukushima was not a nuclear disaster, but that the death toll was from the impact of the forced evacuation of the area and the tsunami, and not radiation. When the quake hit in March 2011, 11 reactors automatically shut down. In fact, on its website, the World Nuclear Association states that there were no deaths or cases of radiation sickness from the incident, but that over 100,000 people had to be evacuated from their homes to ensure this. Kem is in Durban for several reasons. He's debunking the negative hype that nuclear power sometimes receives, elaborating on government's nuclear build program, and encouraging local business to jump on board as partners and suppliers. Referring to the only nuclear power station in Africa, Kuburg, Kem says it ranks among the safest of the world's top-ranking pressurized water reactors and is the most reliable ESCOM power station currently. This thing is going to blow up and it's going to wipe out Cape Town and everybody's going to be dead and so on. History has just shown that has not happened. Then Fukushima... Fukushima is not a nuclear incident. It's a normal accident like would have happened to any other factory up the road. Nobody died from nuclear radiation in Fukushima. Nobody was hurt. There was no radiation effect whatsoever at Fukushima. The only one where there have been people that died uh, was Chernobyl. But the philosophy that was built on that had no containment vessel, minimum safety standards. Plans are well underway for South Africa's nuclear new build program. With the environmental impact assessments now complete, the Department of Energy is awaiting the record of decision from the Department of Environmental Affairs. Kem shared details about the top recommendation for the site at Taste Punt next to Jeffreys Bay in the Eastern Cape. It's a 4,000 hectare site to accommodate the legislated safety zone. He says the country's energy needs are expected to increase significantly in the next decade. Our plan is to double South Africa's electricity consumption. 1994, South Africa was one-third electrified. It's now 85% electrified. You go to some neighboring countries, they are 5 to 15% electrified. Go to Malawi, which is about 10. I emphasize that every new kilowatt hour we use, we should use more efficiently than before. I'm not advocating wastage. I'm not advocating frivolous usage. I'm advocating build new factories, new things to give more jobs and to progress the country. Kim has asked businesses to capitalize on the opportunities that nuclear offers. In rands, this adds up to some 650 billion rand over 10 years to build up to nine nuclear reactors in South Africa. I'm Inoshni Pele in Durban. On Saturday, women pilots on Zimbabwe's national carrier achieved a first, an all-female flight deck on the Boeing 737. The flight has brought to the fore the incredible achievement of a small group who have broken through the glass ceiling in a country where less than 10% of girls study science subjects. Shingai Nyoka reports. A small group of Zimbabwe pilots that keep raising the bar, despite facing pressure even from family not to become pilots. The world's first female MA60 pilot, Myrna Moore. They weren't too keen, so they sent me away for a gap year and I came back and I was still adamant I wanted to be a pilot. And then I did an introductory flight in Zimbabwe, then I trained in South Africa. Captain Chipoma Timba is also the first female combat pilot. When I started flying, I actually started in the military. So at that time, the military was opening up to women to also come in and start uh, taking up military training. So, you know, when something is new, 
it, it's met with a lot of resistance by some others. But um, you have to work twice as hard sometimes to prove yourself. Saturday's flight, a fitting milestone to mark her 20 years as a pilot. Just, you know, something that you'd never think would eventually happen because it's been a long road for us to be captains. So being together in the same flight deck um, was just fun, totally fun. For her co-pilot on this historic flight, the initial ceiling wasn't gender but her tiny stature. Captain Elizabeth Petros has seen many would-be female pilots fall by the wayside. Um, I had a lot of encouragement from my family. Probably women have been afraid to get into it thinking, will our career end or do we have to give it up for family? But what I found with me, um, I have a family of my own, I've got children. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been easier. You can juggle the two. Education experts say glass ceilings are raised at schools. Here many girls shun maths and science, believing it's only for boys. Women make up more than half of Zimbabwe's population, yet only 5% study science subjects at university. Is Zimbabwe's youngest pilot, Chipo Gatsi. I was probably the only one in class who would, probably, who would say I want to be a pilot. And um, in flight school, definitely there's very few ladies who are out there. And um, then you come here, I'm the only girl on the fleet that I'm on. And yeah, it's, you get used to it. <laughs> Zimbabwe has been trying to encourage young children, especially girls, to consider a career in aviation through familiarization tours. It's proud of the achievement of women pilots. Former Captain Emilia Giovanni was the first female pilot to fly the 767 in Africa. Zimbabwe Public Relations Manager Shingit Liwayo. Passengers have been saying about these ladies flying. Um, they've been accredited for the best cruising, the best feather landings and um, magnificent takeoffs. Our passengers really love flying with those ladies and we think women are really making a mark in aviation. Five of Air Zimbabwe's 36 pilots are women, but there are five women who believe that the sky is no longer the limit, but their home. I'm Shingai Nyoka in Harare. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabi Solihuku. Thanks, Malungile. Business in South Africa and the Netherlands have signed 15 cooperation agreements in Johannesburg. The contracts relate to cooperation in areas such as ICT, waste technology, renewable energy and water management, amongst others. The agreements are expected to further strengthen trade and investment between the two countries. In the next hour, I will have a soundbite on what the Netherlands Prime Minister Mark Rutte shares about the agreements. Meanwhile, South Africa's Small Business Development Minister Lindy Wezulu says Netherlands remains an important trade partner for South Africa. The European Union and the East African Community Partner States have signed an agreement establishing an economic partnership between the two countries. The agreement was also signed by the permanent secretaries from all EAC partner states. The economic partnership between the agreement um, countries rather, focuses on trade regimes for goods, fisheries, 
agriculture, economic and development cooperation, good governance concerning taxes, customs duties on products originating in the EAC partner states, customs on products originating in the EU party and infrastructure. British-Australian Multinational Metals and Mining Corporation Rio Tinto has teamed up with the British Savannah Resources to develop a larger-scale heavy mineral sands project in Mozambique. AME East Africa, a wholly-owned subsidiary of Savannah Resources, has agreed to form a joint venture with Rio Tinto over the Mutamba, Dongane, Chilubane and Jangamo prospects. Savannah Resources, uh, formerly African Mining and Exploration, will operate the JV. Meanwhile, Rio Tinto will provide resources to AIM-listed miners. The payments industry in Namibia has launched its new national payment system, Vision 2020. Already 136,200 active basic bank accounts have been created. The establishment of a stakeholder forum is seen as a milestone. Channel Africa's economic update. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Fili Lingwati. With this update, this hour we're starting off with cricket news. A wet outfield and further rain resulted in the umpires deciding to call off the second test between India and South Africa on day five at the M. Chinam Swami Stadium in Bengaluru on Wednesday. The test has been bedeviled by poor weather with the second, third and fourth days of the match being completely washed out. Rain continued to fall on the final day of the test with the umpires eventually deciding to call the match off at what would have been lunch on day five. A.V. Devilas' 100th test has been ruined by the weather after South Africa were bowled out for 214 on day one before India reached 80 for nothing in their first innings. India lead the four test series 1-0 with the third test set to start in Nagpur on the 25th of November. And in all athletics, ex-Olympic sprinter Frankie Fredericks is part of a five-man team that will monitor Russia's Athletics Federation as it bids to regain IAAF membership. Russia was provisionally suspended by the sports governing body after a world anti-doping agency, WADA, report that alleged state-sponsored doping. Anti-doping expert Rooney Anderson will lead the team that includes four-time Olympic silver medalist Fredericks. The 48-year-old Namibian Fredericks came second in the 100-meter and 200-meter at the 1992 and 1996 Olympic Games and is also a former world champion. WADA is also meeting in Colorado Springs on Tuesday and Wednesday where the future of Russia's anti-doping agency, RUSADA, will be discussed. In rugby news, New Zealand rugby union great Jonah Lomu has died at the age of 40. Lomu, who scored 43 tries in 73 matches for the New Zealand team between 1994 and 2002, was diagnosed with a serious kidney condition while still playing. 
This condition forced him to quit the game and he had a kidney transplant in 2004. But it stopped functioning in 2011. Family spokesperson John Mayhew says Lomu's death was unexpected and that he had just returned from UK after spending time there for the Rugby World Cup. He revolutionised his number 11 wing position, scored some unforgettable tries, remains the youngest ever All Black on debut. His loss is going to be very deeply felt right across New Zealand society. In football news, Bafana Bafana sealed their place in the third round in a group phase of the 2018 FIFA World Cup qualifiers when they beat Angola 1-0 at Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban on Tuesday night to win 4-1 on aggregate. A second-half own goal from Manucho added to the 3-1 win achieved in Benguela last Friday and saw Ifram Sheikh Mashaba's team joining 19 other African teams that will go into the draw for the last phase of the qualifiers. Mashaba says the introduction of Tulani Serrero and Sibusiso Villagas in the second half changed the game. When we started playing the kind of football that we always know, combinations, we managed to get them under control. Second half, unfortunately, they were not fortunate to score the goal. They missed an open chance. But I'd like to say to them, they're a good team. One would still love to play against them as time goes on. There's so much that we've learned from them. But I think uh, our subs brought a big change in the, in the game. When we brought in uh, Serrero, we brought in Villa, we brought in Camuhelo. I think everything started to go our way. It was always going to be a difficult task for Angola to win by three clear goals and overturn the score from the first leg. But Palanca Negra's head coach Romeo Philemon is gracious in defeat and feels that the better team won in this tie. I want to first congratulate South Africa for making it through to the group stage uh, for the Russia 2018 World Cup qualifier. Over the two legs, South Africa was a be- better than us, especially beating us uh, in our own yard uh, in the first leg, where Angola did not have the attitude expected from the team. Hence why we had, uh, we-, we spoke to our guys and, and told them that we had to change attitude for this second leg match. But I believe that uh, even though we lost 1-0, but uh, we showed to everybody that came to the stadium that we could, we, it's always possible to have a, go, a great match with attitude and character. And in golf news, the race to Dubai is decided according to winnings in qualifying tournaments. Rory McElroy has amassed 3.3 million euros in winnings despite his absence. McElroy shrugged off any objection saying he had performed better in 12 events than others in the full program. If I can win more money in 12 events than someone can win in 23, I know I, obviously you play majors and you play world golf championships, but um, that's the decision that the European Tour came to and Obviously, it's great for me that I'm able to be here and compete this week. And I just want to win the tournament. I don't care who finishes second, who finishes third. Um, if I, the champion at the end of the week, it means that I win the race to Dubai. And that's all I'm really thinking about. World number three, Rory McIlroy says he's eager to defend his race to Dubai title. It's always been a great place for me. So it, it would be nice to, to do the Dubai double this year and um, pick up the race to Dubai title to go with it. Um, I, I didn't quite think I'd be in this position um, coming into this event, especially after 
taking the week off last week, but um, you know a few of the guys didn't didn't capitalize on that in China, thankfully, and uh, find myself in a position where you know the t- it, you know it's it's totally in my hands. If I go out and win the tournament, I win the overall thing, no matter what anyone else does, and and that's a nice position to be in. So obviously that's the main objective this week, and um, I feel like I'm playing well enough to do that. That's a sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, the UN has expressed its concern about reprisals of further discrimination directed against Muslims. And new figures show an epidemic of violence against children across Africa. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Now, taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Busim Mshongo with Yise Wabantwanabam.
Bye-bye.